At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 293rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we're talking to a millennial farmer on her way to farmerhood. We're talking with Lauren Krug about her farming adventure. Lauren earned her degree in community entrepreneurship from the University of Vermont. Shortly after graduation, she headed west to work on a small veggie farm. After two seasons on the farm, Lauren joined the team at Clark County Food Bank, where she served as their AmeriCorps VISTA local produce coordinator. There she coordinated the farming and gleaning program, delivering fresh, locally grown produce to those in need. Lauren, with her business partner, Lindsay, who will be our guest on episode 294, runs Sprout and Blossom Farm in Vancouver, Washington, combining their social and environmental justice passions with permaculture and sustainability-inspired practices for animal, plant, and human systems on their farm. Welcome to the show today, Lauren. Thanks, Greg. Glad to be here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, I would be glad to. I grew up in New Jersey and then went to school in Vermont. The farming and local food systems were were never really on my radar until I came to college, where Vermont being the very agriculturally rich state, much like Oregon and Washington and kind of introduced me to that whole world and its importance. And I took a course called Introduction to Sustainable Farming Systems, where it would we'd talk about topics like permaculture, biodynamic farming, just regular organic farming. And it made me really want to learn more. So I looked into woofing post-college. For those of you who don't know what that stands for, it's an acronym Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And you can woof in most states in our country and then a lot of other, a lot of places abroad as well. So I ended up doing that in the Hood River Valley at this farm called Flower to Flower. Much like the farm that Lindsay and I are running now, it was a mixed veggie and herb farm with chickens for egg production. It was such a learning, like wonderful experience. I learned so much about just tending for animals and plants and the importance of, first and foremost, the health of your soil. Oh, yes. And how healthy soil grows healthy plants, grows healthy people. (laughs) No kidding. While we're on that topic, healthy soil, how do you make healthy soil? 
Oh, yeah. We we do a couple of different things. First off, I think we're pretty lucky because the the space that we're farming on is right next to a lake, so that and it's very clay silt soil structure. So it's got a lot of nutrients. What it was mainly lacking was organic matter, which we we got a really amazing deal from a local compost company called Recology in a town over that actually gives farmers in general a discount per yard, discounted rates for the yard of compost and added those to our beds. We kind of have permanent raised beds. It was sod lawn that we were working with when we started in February. So we rented a sod cutter, stripped off the grass with that, had the friends that came out to farm work parties to help us roll it up when it was like the extremely rainy spring that we had this past spring. We took the strips of sod off and then made made raised beds with these dugout pathways and then used the compost that we purchased. We also made berms around, that was Lindsay's genius idea. We made berms around some of our plot that we grew flowers in and have started to put some more perennial permanent plants, little semi-permanent um, plants like artichokes and raspberries. We have some sunflowers that are, of course, annuals and marigolds, but they're great for like pest repellent, attracting beneficials. We also add um, fish emulsion, feather meal, blood meal, bone meal as organic fertilizers. When when plant we see plants needing a booster, when you know when they're we've newly like newly transplanted them, we want them to have super rich food to eat. <laughs> Excellent. I want to rewind a little bit. You've got a degree from the University of Vermont in community entrepreneurship. Tell me about that. That sounds fascinating. Given I have been an entrepreneur for 42 years. So what are they teaching you? What what was that about? Yeah, it was really exciting program when I first heard about it because um, I was pretty lost the first two years of college. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Welcome to being in college. It's- Exactly. That doesn't necessarily end, you know, but you, you, yeah, you learn a lot about yourself. It was a really awesome program that they offer. It consists of a bunch of classes that have you, you take kind of like classical micro and macroeconomics, and then you also take ecological economics, but also more like community, small business minded micro and macro. Mm. You take a class where you, you write your own business plan you take a class where you start an, your own on-campus business with a group of classmates, which was wow. really cool. It's called like Dollar Enterprise, I believe. And we would just sell things outside of the library. It couldn't have been as creative and like wild as starting your own farm. It had to be something you could like sell on campus. My group did a dumpling cart, which was actually pretty successful, I got to say. Wow. <laughs> so you were actually making food for people. Yeah, exactly. And learning how to structure the marketing side of things, the interactive type things. Yeah. I would say it was a really, I was glad I, I did that. Nice. Major, for sure. Nice. Is, it, is it safe to assume that the reason you're in business today is because of the, you know, some of the classes that you took? I would definitely say they contribute. I think that you don't really need a degree to start your own business. You know, like you can read a lot of books and but I'm definitely, yeah, I think that contributes a lot. And I do, uh, certain things really stick out to me that they focused on when we were when we were going through that program. And it really is so true how important your relationship building is with community members and just fellow business owners. Yep. 
how that's like kind of first and foremost and in regards to marketing how you can create as many flyers and well now so word of mouth is one of the most important things whether it's a friend telling you about it or you see a friend posting about it on social media that's the most valuable marketing we've come across and I think a lot of business can say the same yeah then let's move on to the Clark County Food Bank and AmeriCorps so first of all what is AmeriCorps Oh, yeah. AmeriCorps, I like to explain it to folks as um, domestic Peace Corps. So you're kind of paired with a government or nonprofit organization like I was with the food bank. Mm -hmm. And you have some sort of role. The, The broad umbrella goal is to help people overcome poverty. So a lot of times it's like social service type things like food banking or Habitat for Humanity, trying to find affordable housing for Mm -hmm. folks, working with resource development in schools, and also like a large part of my job was mobilizing volunteers to come help on the farm. The AmeriCorps VISTA is specifically supposed to be capacity building in that you work at the program and with the knowledge that the position is not always going to be there, it's going to be up to the people in the community to have a strong kind of grassroots care and, and passion and motivation about doing whatever social cause you're doing. So Cool. Now we know about you. Let's talk about Sprout and Blossom Farm. How did you two meet? Yeah, Lindsay and I met when we were, it was my second year of woofing in Hood River, and she uh-huh. was woofing on another farm. And her farm was awesome and would host these weekly potlucks. Ooh. That gathered a bunch of people in the community together, usually people that were passionate about farming because, you know, like-minded people like to gather, especially when they're into food. Yeah, we just became like fast best friends and had a lot a lot in common and a lot of like values and interests that aligned, mm-hmm. being both lo- loving to work, be outside, work with nature and plants and animals, and also ex- use our creative expression in, in different art forms, music. So, yeah, nice. we became fast friends. Nice. And then we also ended up moving to Portland together with another friend of ours. Ah. And that's where you met our Taylor Jenkins, yes? Yes. Yes, that beautiful, wonderful soul. Taylor works with us, and she does our a lot of our newsletter and technology stuff. So that's how we got connected. So yay. So you're now living in Portland, and you get this wild idea to start a farm. Tell us about that. During the tail end of my AmeriCorps stint, I went to this Slow Food meeting, Slow Food of Southwest Washington annual meeting, and met this couple, Eric and Heather, mm-hmm. who had just adopted a baby and heard that I I mentioned I really wanted to start a farm. And they said, we have land that we would love you to farm. We can't really contribute too much time and labor because we just, we're both full-time work. Like we have full-time jobs and we're raising a kid, but we'd love you to turn this into a little garden of Eden. So I immediately thought of Lindsay to be my farm partner because I know that was also her passion and dream. From there, we just, started meeting with them and talking out details and different expectations, agreements. It was just like a really exciting thing that kind of just seemed like, wow, what an exciting dream and idea to now being a reality like six or seven months later. Well, you know, that's what it takes. You get an idea. You actually have to move your feet 
and go out and do something to make it happen. Totally. Yeah, exactly. So Lauren, I want to kind of explore your farm a little bit. And given that we're going to have Lindsay on the next show, I'm going to throw you the ball for one of them and I'll throw her the ball for the other. And for you, I want to talk with you about how's the community playing in this? How are they receiving you? So let's start there. Yeah, we're so grateful and really just so happy with how much we've been embraced by the community here. The people that we've met and talked to at the farmer's market are all so amazing and so supportive and always just are very impressed with kind of the timeline that we've had and just being two young female entrepreneurs. We're always enamored with the compliments we get with how we display our our food and also just how delicious it is once we get the feedback of people purchasing uh-huh. and, and their whatever they create in the kitchen with that stuff. It's, it's been really amazing. We've met three women who come and help help us harvest on harvest oh, days nice. that kind of volunteer. We pay them in vegetables, but re- they tell us like <laughs> they, it's kind of just like their, their therapy for that week, their time in the garden. Yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of us can relate to that how therapeutic touching the soil is and being outside and seeing the, the bees and the dragonflies and all the other pollinators fly by. You see, you also see a lot of frogs here. Nice. And then in addition to those customers, like the local food purveyors and chefs that we've built relationships with has been really awesome. We've, we're about to get involved on this coming Monday in our third farm to table dinner which is really exciting because they're so fun and we get tickets too, which we probably would never really be able to afford. (laughs) Right. I went back to college late in life uh, and in 1999 to about 2003, I was what they used to call truck farming. I was growing food in my front and backyard and I'd take it around to a couple of farmer's markets and a couple of restaurants. And I did farm to table dinners and it was always cool that I got to show up and be the farmer there. Yeah, isn't that cool? How's that experience for you, being the farmer at the farm to table? It's dinner? really cool. It's like it's pretty surreal because I think Lindsay and I both have talked about how exciting it is to see how these mastermind chefs uh-huh. kind of make these really cool creations with what we've poured our love into growing. Just seeing it just like presented in such a beautiful way and treated with such care and it's really really great and I know we've talked to some chefs about that like they're always really thankful when we show up too because it kind of shows that reciprocity and support and that we're both rooting for each other because that's what it's all about like uplifting one another and that's what that's what community entrepreneurship is all about exactly and and how does that make you feel Uh, it makes us feel really 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 great and proud of ourselves yeah yeah exactly also, it's like, it's not rocket scientists. Like, we can all do this kind of stuff. Or it's not rocket science. We can all, not to shit on anyone, but I think we all should have our own garden because there's just so much self-esteem building in it and, like, scientific learning and just so much you get. Very well said. So, everybody out there, everybody should have a garden. If you don't have a garden, get going. Yeah. <laughs> Go to some seed exchanges in the fall or spring. That's what I'm planning on doing or buy buy them. But there's like a lot of seed swaps that, that yeah. places will have that can people, whatever they have excess. So I want you to think back on your experience of the past, let's call it three years of your, of your farm experience. And I want you to think back to one epic moment 
one that maybe brought you to tears, that changed your life. Can you share about that? Yeah, I would say, gosh, there's been so many. There's very high highs and low lows. I think a lot of farmers can relate. Yeah. (laughs) But probably, kind of sounds silly, but just like, I wouldn't say I was brought to tears, but just like, really, 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 really happy with how our onions turned out. Because in all three years of my farming experience, Mm -hmm. I just had the worst luck with that. And then this year, it was one of the very first things Lindsay and I started when we started doing all the things to set up the farm. Right. And then my family came and visited and they helped us transplant the starts. So I kind of had like that emotional connection to them. Oh yeah. Nice. The onions have just thrived this year and people love them, the onions and the leeks. Cause we've had, we have like a pretty interesting array of the, and different types of, of varieties. And I just, I love onions so much. They're so <laughs> great and versatile and every great meal starts with an onion. I'll buy that. Absolutely. In fact, Heidi, my sweetheart, she teaches yoga and she works to seven o'clock, three nights a week. Most of those three nights, my instructions are Greg, start an onion. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. She's a wise woman, Heidi. Yeah, there, huh? Amen to that. <laughs> So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. It's another tricky one, because I do feel like we've had many of those instances. I think specifically, um, one of the harder failures of this year was losing chickens, and Specifically, one evening, what had happened? There was something broke with our coop. The door, I think, wasn't shutting all the way Mm -hmm. or whatever it was, but a predator had gotten in, woke up the next morning and and found a headless chicken, Mm -hmm. which is totally a part of farming, life and death, the symbiotic relationship. But it was really sad and frustrating. And, you know, as as their mom, Lindsay and I, we're responsible for them, so it felt really sad and a little guilt inducing, Mm -hmm. but it was just a really, you know, you don't really ever forget that. And it just made us um, that much more on top of making sure they they're well looked after and that they're the doors that are supposed to protect them from predators because they're very vulnerable animals (laughs) are super secure. We're so fortunate. Eric, the, the gentleman of the couple that whose land we farm purchased this solar door for us that A, is charged by solar energy, and B, rises and sets with the sun. Oh, so nice. So it's really helpful that, and it's been working really well. The chickens know instinctually to coop themselves once it gets dark, and then they get to come out in the morning, and it's like, it's one last thing that us, us farmers have to worry about, is like that they're, com- they're getting in and out safely. I'll tell you what, it is very, very important to keep our animals safe. We uh, actually had an incident here about a year and a half ago at the urban farm where we lost 10 hens to a bobcat right in the middle of Phoenix. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so it's something that we have to be aware of. They're such useful, like, birds to have around the chicken. So, yeah, let's keep them alive. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So what do you consider your biggest success? Our biggest success has been the connection that we've made with um yeah well I guess I kind of mentioned that earlier but just like folks that come in and our customers our our partners for instance the slow food had a they have a monthly special here in Vancouver Uh where they feature a farmer 
and they the farmer does gives a mini little speech and then everyone like drinks and eats like local food that a local chef creates with with the farmer's food and we did that this past week and we got to meet this couple pulled us aside afterwards and they were like we're really inspired by your story we're thinking about create or we definitely are going to start our own farm in this area and we would just love to like ask you a bunch of questions so that that was really cool that's just really cool and nice. feels really great to be able to like give people insight and suggestions and advice because we that's kind of what we were gifted when we were starting up as right. well exactly. so to kind of be able to to carry on that that like good paying it forward type deal was felt really great and it's exciting that there's more and more farmers popping up in in the region oh making the food system stronger yep yeah that's really our job is making the food system stronger so what drives you what drives me is just being able to provide food for friends and for the community it sometimes feels weird to like be a salesperson at a farmer's market but then I'm like why should I feel bad about this because it's things these are this this is food that's really going to help people's health and mental capacity and psychological health so that drives me is that we're be we're providing really really good good food that's good for the people ingesting it good for us because it gives us a livelihood mm-hmm. and the planet it gives just that's kind of like what's so important to us is that it's not being trucked miles and miles to get to whatever dinner plate it ends up on and that it's being grown in ways that give back to the earth instead of just conventional industrial very extractionist mindset of farming um monoculture Mm -hmm. you know everything this podcast is probably not for. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So if you can recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I would definitely recommend Food Not Lawn by Heather Flores. This book's an amazing book that's kind of like a, a how-to or a guidebook, I guess I would say, for anyone wanting to grow food in their neighborhood, in their yard, and build community at the same time. And I think it's pretty much geared towards any one from like a a suburban development to an urban area to probably the countryside. It doesn't exclude anyone. Just because you live in a city doesn't mean that you are excluded from from being able to grow your own food. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I hate to sound cliche, but it's really, really true. Really like listen and meditate and listen to your heart and follow that and realize that you don't have to like pick one or be stressed out to pick one thing and do that one thing for the rest of your life. I would say use the combination of something you're good at, something you really love to do and something that brings you a lot of joy. And like you asked earlier, what drives you, Greg? Think of things that drive you and go after those things and don't be afraid to try and fail. You're going to do that regardless. <laughs> and honestly, as we all know, failures are how we, we learn best. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lauren. Yeah, thank you, Greg. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You guys can check us out at sproutandblossomfarm.com. Also our Instagram, Sprout, Sprout and Blossom Farm, or Facebook. Come check us out. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash sprout. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. 
Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.